Well, good morning. Good to see all of you. And let me echo Jake's welcome to our guests this morning. And we appreciate having you with us. We are in a series that we began last week called Kingdom Come. And so the idea behind this is having a nearsighted vision, a nearsighted projection, a nearsighted focus with a farsighted goal. And so we've got, we're living here in the here and now. And so our focus has to be on today and tomorrow and each day that God gives us on the earth. But our ultimate goal and our ultimate uh, destination is eternal. And so that's, that's kind of why we call this uh, uh, kingdom come. Because kingdom is now. We are kingdom. And I hope to, to kind of lay this out for us and bring our thoughts to that over the next few weeks. So there was this farmer and a farmer went to see his banker. And so he goes to the banker to sit down to talk, and he says, look, I've got, got some good news and i got some bad news. And the banker says, well, it's, uh, what's the bad news? Let's start with that. And the man says, well, I can't make my mortgage payment. The banker says, well, okay, um, is that it? He said, no. He said, you know, the crop, the crop I have, I took out a loan for the crop. I can't make that payment either. I can't pay you for my crops. The banker says, well... Yeah, that's, a, that's an issue. The guy says, and you know, I, I took out a couple hundred thousand in a loan from you so I could buy my farm equipment to take care of these crops. But I can't make that payment either. He says, in fact, I'm just going to have to turn the whole operation over to you and let you get what you can out of it. And the baker says, my goodness. He said, well, what's, what's the good news? And the guy says, well, the good news is I'm still going to do business with you. So you all think about that. The world wants some good news. There's so, it seems to be so much bad news out there that's perpetuated, but the world needs some good news. And certainly, that's true every day. But this day, more than most days, the church is in need of some good news. And so the bad news is, in too many places, perhaps the church has lost the good news. And so to understand the kingdom of God is to recognize and to realize the good news that God gives us. And so Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7, beginning here, says, How beautiful the mountains of the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. So this good news is that there is a kingdom. And there is a God who is on the throne of that kingdom. And so there's a popular gospel of our day that offers a Savior but not a sovereign. And there's a difference there. It offers a great retirement plan, but it doesn't speak about this reign of God, this rule of God in our daily lives. And so Jesus seems to focus His teaching on the eternal reign of God. And so sometimes we get tunnel vision and fixated on the eternal realm of God, the destination, and we lose sight of the journey. And so Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, as Jesus goes out and begins... His ministry, as Matthew records, he says in verse 17, From that time Jesus began to preach this message, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And in other places he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so you'll read through the Gospels and you'll see this interchangeability, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. And it's talking about the same thing. Not necessarily a place, although God occupies a space, but a realm. And so we're going to expand on that. So this was good news. And this was the preeminent message of Jesus. The kingdom of God is here. And it's available. 
And in verse 23, he says, as he goes throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of disease and sickness among the people. And some people were so enamored with Jesus and what he was doing. They said, hey, we want you to stay here. Stay with us. Spend some time with us so we can hear more about this. And Luke records in chapter 4 and verse 43, Jesus says to these people, I've, I've got to go. I've got to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns too. For that is why I was sent. And that's what He did. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, Jesus went throughout all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news, healing every kind of disease and sickness. And so when it came time for the disciples now to, to test the waters and to go out on their own, their first preaching trip, they didn't have to sit around and figure out, what's my sermon topic going to be? What, what title am I going to call this? They knew what it was. Luke writes in chapter 9 and verse 1, after Jesus called the twelve together, He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And then in one of His last staff meetings that Jesus had with His disciples, He says in Matthew chapter 24, in verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole inhabited earth as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. And if, you still want, if you're still trying to find that first scripture, if you still wonder what Jesus preached on more than anything else, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, to the same apostles, Jesus said after His suffering, after He died, was buried, and rose again, He presented Himself alive with many convincing proofs. He was seen by them over a 40-day period and spoke about matters concerning the kingdom of God. And so we saw last week this challenge that we have in kind of wrapping our brain around what this, this kingdom of God is all about. Is it this? Is it that? How much of it does it entail? And so when we think about kingdom today, we usually think about a, a, a territory. Or we think about people with, within a territory. But in Scripture, the primary way the word is used, kingdom, is in speaking of the right to rule. Or the, the, the authority of a sovereign. And kingdom is where the will of the king is carried out. And so when Jesus says the kingdom of God is near, He's indicating how that now through Him, the God of heaven is establishing His dominion through Jesus Christ. And now the choice is available to live under God's rule. It's available for everybody and keeping in step with God's sovereign, His eternal, His above all, His supreme purposes. And sovereign means supreme or above all others. It's a fancy word. It just means above everything. And so that's where God's authority lies. And so Jesus was saying the rule of God is now available to everybody. So now, review your life, examine yourself and the direction that you've been heading and make sure that you are lining it up with this remarkably gracious opportunity to be a part of this kingdom. And so for the Jews who had been anticipating this kingdom of God, this thousand-year wait was over. Ever since King David... They've been waiting for this Messiah, this great Deliverer to come to establish this great permanent kingdom for them to, to regain their position of preeminency as kingdoms of the earth. And so they're waiting for this. But for everyone else, what this means is that the border fence has been removed 
And now there's a place in the kingdom for those who will submit themselves to this sovereign God. For those, regardless of your nationality and regardless of your status. So, so there's an element of kingdom that teaches you that you must be saved from something. But Jesus begins His teaching by saying that we must be saved into something. And this message did not change. Acts chapter 8 and verse 12, we read, But when they believed Philip, as Philip was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they began to be baptized, both men and women. And then you've got the Apostle Paul, who goes and, and he's preaching and he's teaching, and he goes to a place called Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 and verse 8, and we read that Paul enters the synagogue, the church building there, and he spoke out fearlessly for three months, addressing and convincing them about the kingdom of God. And in fact, if you remember from our study of Acts, which I know you do, uh, how this record spread so quickly, this good news of this kingdom, do you remember how it ends, the, the record of it at least? In Acts chapter 28, in verse 31, the Apostle Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with complete boldness and without restriction. It's amazing to me the book of Acts begins with this bold proclamation and it ends making sure we understand that the gospel is a bold proclamation and it's continuing. It is not ending. So Jesus is sovereign above all as well as Savior. And so today, a lot of people try to persuade others, just, just follow, just accept Jesus. All you've got to do is accept Jesus. Nowhere in the record of the Bible does Jesus say, accept me. He says, follow me. Make me the master. Make me the teacher of every corner of your life. And so when you lose sight of the, the good news of the kingdom, then Jesus becomes irrelevant to the course of our lives. He becomes irrelevant to, to every day. And so Jesus is very good at getting us into heaven, we think. But today, somebody got to make some decisions about my life, and it might as well be me. So we can fall into that. And it's not so much that we reject the idea of kingdom, but we may reduce kingdom. We reduce it first by equating kingdom with heaven. Kingdom is only heaven. And so when you go to heaven, that's when you'll be in the kingdom. And Jesus is the king of heaven. So leave Jesus in heaven. Because that's where he's the king. Or we equate kingdom of God with the church. Kingdom is only the church. And so Jesus is the king. So when we are in church, then where he is king, then we're going to make sure that, that we do what the king wants. But I'm not in church most of the week, right? I'm in the real world. And so when we package Jesus, it allows Jesus to be king and allows us to maintain our sovereignty over most of our lives. We compartmentalize Jesus and His rule and His authority. There's a story that when a Japanese general gave himself up to an Allied commander during World War II that he, he reached out to shake the general's hand in a, in a gesture of, of goodwill and of surrender. And the general kept his hand still, did not address that handshake, but instead he said, Sir, your sword first. First you give me your sword. And so when Jesus says repent, what he means is first you've got to give up 
your authority. You've got to give up your other kingdoms. You say, what kingdoms do I have? Who am I that I have a kingdom? Well, anywhere in your life where your will is number one, that's where you have staked your kingdom. And that's why, as we read, it's so hard for that rich young ruler to follow Jesus. He was a nice guy, a nice moral young man, decent young man. But when Jesus spoke to the heart of, of, of where his kingdom was, he says, if you want the kingdom of God, then you've got to sell everything that you own, you give it to the poor, and you come follow me. And when he heard that, he went away sad. He was brokenhearted. And this whole discussion Jesus has with him and with the apostles following, it's a kingdom discussion. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 24, when Jesus noticed how this young man responded to what he told him, he said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And he goes on, he talks about camels and gates. And this is not about the size of a camel, nor about which gate a camel might be able to fit in. See, success usually comes to people who are good at calling the shots. They're good at making choices. They're good at controlling whatever it is that's generating their success. That's how they become successful. And so it's hard for someone to give up their sovereignty and to say, I surrender to God's rule. Whatever God wants from me, whatever direction He is pointing me in, that's the way I'm going to go. His agenda is now my agenda. That's hard for someone. Which is why Jesus would go on and say in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, because the gate is wide and the way is spacious that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. And this isn't about fear of tight spaces. It's not about claustrophobia here. When you accept Jesus as the sovereign of your life, as the supreme rule and, and, and commander of your life, you commit to walking this narrow path that follows Him and follows His teaching. Otherwise, you could run all over the place. You can do whatever you want to do. You can chase this goal. You can chase that ambition. And in the end, you can find your life utterly destroyed. So a kingdom does not have to be intrinsically evil either. I mean, you can, you can be living in the kingdom of alcohol or you can be living in the kingdom of pornography, but you can, also, you can also be submitting to the kingdom of family or the kingdom of career or the kingdom of a hobby. You can even submit to the kingdom of religion. In Matthew chapter 7, going on verse 21 here, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And so the condemnation of ancient Israel was because they had fooled themselves into believing that if we offer these sacrifices, if we go through these motions, if we keep the feast days and these other rituals of the law, then we're kingdom people, right? But the prophet Isaiah reveals God's condemnation in Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13. The sovereign master says, these people say they're loyal to me. They say wonderful things about me, but they sing and they pray and they read scriptures and they hear sermons and they, 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 they serve others, but they're not really loyal to me. Their worship consists of nothing but man-made ritual. And at every turn, Jesus was echoing these words, calling people hypocrites 
who thought they could just show up on Sunday and live the way they want to live Monday through Saturday. And so living like this is not living within the kingdom of heaven. Because obedience is the mark of a kingdom resident. You drive around North Little Rock and you'll see stickers and windows. And, and one of the common ones I see in my area of travel is LPOA. Lakewood Property Owners Association. You see a sticker in a window. and So when you see that, you know, somebody's paid some dues or you know somebody lives within a certain area of town. And so you recognize them. They're part of, of this people. Are you living in the kingdom or are you just going to church? Are you identified daily by who you are or just by where you go? You wonder why the church is in decline in America? I wonder if it could be that for too many years, Christians have allowed the kingdom of God to blend with the kingdom of me. And so America is full of church buildings. But is it empty of the reign of God? And so there are two approaches to, to doing church that I've seen in my lifetime, in my growing up. Polar opposites of each other, right? I'm talking about the polars here. I'm talking about Western church, regardless of what sign is in the front yard. One pole is we've got to get church right. We've got to be right at church. And so the problem is you can get church right and you can sit in the pew and you can be racist or you can be materialistic to the core and never have a change in heart. Because the focus was, did we do church right today? And so then on the other pole are people who say, no, we need to make church relevant. And so they'll hire the best production people and they'll ask themselves, was church relevant today? Did, 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 did tell us what we can do to, to make church more likable for you so that you'll come back and be with us. And if one polar side of this was steeped in legalism, the other is steeped in consumerism. And they're both wrong. So both people get real passionate. And they even have some short-term results. But does it bring people into the reign of God? And so what if our message was not, come watch us do church right, or come let us make you happy, but rather, what if our message was, let us help you find the rule of God in your life? What if that was our message? If you go out and search the, 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 the wonders of the world, most of them are in ruins. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28 says, So since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom, let us give thanks and through this let us offer worship pleasing to God and devotion and awe. For our God is indeed a consuming fire. The only eternal reality is the kingdom of God. The kingdom is going to last as long as God is on the throne. You want to know how long that is? <laughs> Forever. Forever, who was and is and, and is to come. And the only thing of ours that's going to last is what we do in kingdom, for kingdom, by kingdom. There was a Barna study that was done that revealed that the majority of older teenagers have, are incredibly inarticulate about their faith. They have a hard time putting into words, expressing their, why, their religious beliefs and their practices and its place in their lives, what it even means for their daily lives. So I wonder, where, where are we trending? Where are we trending? I was talking last week about advertising and how just because 
someone famous endorses a product doesn't mean I'm going to go out and buy that product. I mean, most of the time, I'm figuring that famous person is only doing that for a paycheck. They probably don't even use that product. They're probably peddling it. But if I know you, and if I trust you, and I see you or you tell me you're using a particular product or you're, you're doing something a particular way and this is how it's working for you, that if I hear that it's making a difference in your life, if I hear it's making a difference in your relationships or a difference in, in how you view the, the evil in the world around us, or if I hear from you how, how you now it's made a difference in how you approach the uncertain future, that gives me confidence in that product, and it persuades me to try it because of you and because of our relationship. The Bible refers to living in the kingdom of God as righteousness and peace and joy. It talks about it being otherworldly and, 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 and even present also. The, the, the already, but the not yet. It talks about it being everlasting and experiential, tangible. And it talks about it being good news. But not one time does Jesus or anyone else refer to life in the kingdom of God as being safe. It's not safe. Not on this side of eternity. Kingdom living is dangerous because we are surrounded by the opposition of Satan. But followers of Jesus, we don't fear living dangerously. We embrace it. Because what we really fear is missing out on the reign of God. Maybe we have a hard time accepting the reign of God. Maybe we have a hard time accepting that the kingdom come in this present because of this constant battle that, that we're wrestling with, this jockeying of position for this rule in our own lives. And that's the challenge before us. But we have a king. We have a king who has met that challenge. And if we submit our lives to Him daily, intentionally, consistently, and completely, then we can not only live with great anticipation of life in His eternal kingdom, but we can experience with great reality His kingdom come. So where do I start? How does this begin? Pray daily for rain. Pray daily for rain. R-E-I-G-N. Rain. The rain of God. Every day, ask God for His leadership in your life. And that's not asking Him to do something He's not ready and willing to do. It's submitting your will to God, saying, God, I invite you to rule and to reign in my life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10, May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is not only a prayer of submission to the, the kingdom reign of God, but it's a prayer of rebellion against the earthly reign of Satan and against the rebellion that's in our own hearts. And so I, I do not completely understand this spiritual kingdom of God, but I want to pursue it. I want to pursue it in order to do so. I and you must start by identifying what area is it in our lives where we find it the hardest to give up our will and not be in charge. That's where we've got to start. Repent of that and ask God to take it over. 
Will you do that right now? If there is some area in your life where you know, you recognize, you've been struggling with releasing, giving that over to God, giving Him the supreme authority of it, stop wrestling with Him and His will and submit to His will. Will you repent of that today and give that to Him? If you're ready to be a part of the eternal kingdom of God, to come under His authority, His sovereignty, and realize the tremendous blessing by being led and guided and watched over and cared for by the person, the being, who brought you into existence, then will you be baptized into His Son today for the forgiveness of your sins, to be given the gift of God's Spirit, the mark of the kingdom, the sticker for your window, and then go out and live it. Be the kingdom. Kingdom come in the lives of those around you. We're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement this morning. If we can help you anyway in your walk with Christ, your decision to obey Him, will you come as we stand and sing?